0: All right. It is uh, time for another Bull in the Basement uh, video, long form Q&A podcast with an old friend of mine. And I I don't mean that chronologically, Vic. I I just mean we go back a little
1: bit. That's accurate, though, the chronological.
0: (laughs) People could mistake that, but I was not taking a shot. Uh, Vic Carucci, of course, uh, former president of the Pro Football Writers Association of America. If there were a Hall of Fame of football writers, you would be in it. Um, Buffalo News, Bills, Browns, NFL.com, SiriusXM, WGRZ-TV, all of those things you've done. You've authored. Is it ten books now? Are you on ten? Actually, eleven. Eleven now. Okay. Over eleven. That wasn't, guy wasn't sure.
1: over my shoulder. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I kind of noticed a little product placement there. Well done. Well done. Thank you. You've learned a little marketing in your in your media days. Um, you and we're going to talk about that book in a second and about the books you've written. Um, and, and
1: let me just, well, hi, first of all. Yeah, hello. Great great to see you. Uh, way too long that we've uh, not had a discussion of any kind, but certainly a football. I mean, I know we've talked and texted, but I'm talking like our football discussion. And I miss that. I miss talking with you on a regular basis about football. For sure. And we're going to talk some football. But Vic, these podcasts that I do are generally about the people that I talk to.
0: So it's going to be sure. a lot about you. Okay? OK, so I'm going to take you back to the Boilermaker. I'm going to take you back to FX <laughs> Matt and all uh, oh, that stuff. White Spur. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, yeah. I, you are Utica native. I won't, and if any- I
1: won't remember. Hey, remember that chronological thing? I won't remember. <laughs> so you know, you'll, you'll
0: be you'll be you'll
1: be challenging me too much. Rich.
0: Very good. Your nickname, okay, I'm going to start you with a really, really hard question. Your nickname is the Commish. Hypothetically, if you
1: became the real Commish today, what's the first thing you do? Wow. Um, I, I've actually pondered that. I mean, there are, so a lot of it is just because you, you're you so close to the situation, right? Covering the NFL for as long as I have and and actually covering three, Commissioners. I mean, going all the way back to Pete Roselle and being there when he hung it up, when he announced a surprise retirement uh, at a league meeting in California. And then I remember talking with Ralph Wilson at the time about like the next commissioner and Ralph said, our next commissioner needs to have a legal background. So uh, because of all the litigation the NFL was getting, Al Davis was suing, you had the United States Football League, uh, all, all that stuff back and forth. And it it was an uneasy, unfriendly time, uh, frankly, for the NFL. And when I heard those words, it it made me pause because I I tell the story because my first instinct is that of a football guy. When I hear a longtime owner and truly a lover of football, Ralph Wilson, besides being a businessman that he was, say that we need this. Someone that can handle legal issues. Now, I, that, I guess that was his way of previewing the fact that he was in favor of Paul Tagliabue, who would be the uh, eventual commissioner or the replacement for uh, Pete Rozelle. And you know, Pete came from a place of marketing and PR. Um, and then you know, fast forward to Roger Goodell taking over, and probably the most noticed of all the, or, or the most discussed of all the commissioners. In a lot of bad ways, uh, of course, but but certainly many good ways. The growth of the game and all of that, and Roger comes from a place of politics. Uh, his dad, right, Pol- great politician, um, and 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 in a football place. He played the game in high school, college, and I I feel like the the commissioner that I would want to be. Certainly, I have zero legal background. Um, I'm, I can't call myself a PR guy in the classic sense, even though in our line of work, as you know, bullets, you're, you work with, uh, many PR people and you sort of get a feel for that and the marketing end of it. But I'd like to be the, you know, I, I, I guess in some ways, the content commissioner in this sense, the first thing I think I would do, even though the, the NFL has tried reasonably hard to, uh, let, let me rephrase that tried, to pull back the curtain with like these hard knock shows and and the different things that let people see what's behind the the curtain. Um, And me being uh, someone who has loved that series for the most part, I didn't think it was so great this summer with Dallas, but overall uh, enjoying the behind the scenes because I've gotten to see a lot of the behind the scenes and even some of the behind the scenes that I had never seen show up on, on hard knocks. And maybe now it gets a little redundant, but I'd want much more of an open feel to this game. I think the league still gets caught in this time warp of secrecy and paranoia. And and I know it's driven by the heritage of coaching, which is we don't reveal anything. We don't tip anything. There isn't There isn't anything new under the sun anymore. It's a fallacy that I think coaches believe that they're dealing with these top secret, you know, uh, dealing with all this this well guarded stuff that has to be, you know, kept like you're dealing with the Pentagon or something, and and I don't know that that works anymore. Um, I, I I think the game has evolved and content has evolved and ability to absorb it has evolved to the point where just blow it all open. Let us have those cameras that are that are in the draft room for a little bit of time during the. That should be in all the meeting rooms in in the league. And every coach, every game plan preparation, every conversation, uh, I want heard. Um, It doesn't have to be this is exactly what we're going to do against the Jets or the, you know, and vice versa um, or the Patriots. And but instead of this whole idea of it's shrouded and we don't we're, we're guessing and thinking, put it all out there, make the whole thing open an open book. Um, that's what I would do. And, and, and of course it would get shot down immediately by every coach or I'd get literally shot, I think for wanting <laughs> to do it, but um, that's what I'd do. I do. I would, I'd go to my, I think area of strength, which is, you know, the content thing, right? You've had legal commissioners and they fought legal battles. You had the marketing PR, you had combination. And even though Roger tries, has tried some of that, uh and i was part of it with nfl.com and so forth but i my version would be wide open i never ever pictured you being the tiktok commissioner <laughs> i don't know i don't first of all i i i can't i don't know what i mean i know what tiktok is i i would be lost if I, i'd have my kids show me how to right. kids my adult uh Daughters and their husbands, or whatever, show me about all that how that works. I've never done one, but I know I I get what you're saying. I don't necessarily even think it's the TikTok. I I'd want it to be the, you know, the full blown, um, again, video because people can't get enough. And and here's the other. This is this. I'm I'm more serious about this part. We're we're getting we're uh, moving to the age, as you know, where gambling. Uh, is the next great frontier for the NFL from a revenue stream standpoint, right? And the league is embracing that in ways that I never conceived possible. You think my ideas are those that you would would never conceive happening. Gambling, which I thought would, I mean, you know, team in Vegas and the whole, but the whole approach of how even the discussion of a new stadium, I know we'll get into that, but here and other places is all really driven by the infrastructure that allows for the best level of communication with this thing, you know, with the phones and and you know your ability to um, to be connected and place all kinds of prop bets and other bets in the course of a game, right? So let people hear and see it all. Give give them as much information as possible so they can at least make. Semi-intelligent bets, even though I don't know if it's intelligent to ever bet.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, It's funny because I had written that down and and one of the things I wanted to ask you about. And it's pure conspiracy theorism. And I don't even like asking the question. And you know what? I'm not going to, but I'll refer to it. Just the way the league's been the last three weeks with humongous underdogs winning games and lots of them. It's not been this one fluke a week. It's been a bunch a week over the last three and so I could I could totally see conspiracy theorists saying, oh, well, the money now gambling, right? You DraftKings is going to be legal on your device in New York very shortly, you know, and, and ESPN's got to show every single weeknight at 530. Dedicated to gambling and the lines. Mm-hmm. Forget about football, but every sport, I mean, uh, Premier League soccer, you know, right. they have lines for it's. It, I mean, everything you possibly gamble on. So I won't ask you the question because I think it is relatively ridiculous
1: but is it uh i i'm not yeah i i I don't do the tinfoil hat thing uh all that much um in fact i i don't do it at all i try not to do it at all uh i'm not oliver stone and and i don't try to pretend to be him either uh, with the whole conspiracy theory idea but i can see why eyebrows get raised and why all of a sudden, you know, we saw this onslaught of crazy outcomes of what we didn't anticipate. And I mean, the the, the lines that were put out by the folks in Vegas on multiple games, I think there were like double digit favorites that ended up losing and some of them by big double digit margins. So where does that come from? Um, Part of me, I, I, none of it. I don't think is tied to trying to drive this whole gambling conversation or revenue ability, um, a revenue generating ability forward. If that's a function of it, it's a function of it. And I, but I think that would be a function of it regardless. I think it has a lot more to do though with the state of the game that we are in a league now where, first of all, with 17 games over an 18 game spread. That one extra game has changed, I think, the mentality, the dynamic. You heard Tom Brady publicly. Now, people have heard him whine and complain about a lot of things in and out of games. I thought he made a pretty salient point, though, about his opposition to this additional game and how you're not even at the halfway point when you think you're the halfway point of the regular season, what that milestone means to players, their mentality. Uh, And I think the. Again, the level you you with injuries accumulating, with just the whole stress and 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 the time strain that goes with preparation each week, uh, the Thursday night football disease, if you if you want to call that, where you get zero time to prepare for the one of the grand stages of the game, zero time. I mean, literally, there are teams that virtually don't practice put in a limited amount of of plays and just play just play on your skill and stuff like that i i think all of that adds up to a i'm not going to say it's a product you can't depend on but it's definitely one that gets wonky that that can have some imbalance and and moments where you know you think you're use, you're applying logic to how these games are going to look and play out talent versus talent. Um, I think we're at a stage where if mentally, and, and by the way, players, I believe now have far more to, uh, I'm going to use that word distraction. It's, it's a weak one, but far more to distract them, far more to pull their attention away from the job at hand than ever. And that's just a function of society. I'm not carping about that. I'm not complaining. I'm just, it is, it just is. And I, I don't know that you're getting full attentive focus, everything that you need to quote play that best game that you and I think we're looking at the matchup and we' and we're looking at stats and numbers and and that's and that is you know, another part of this equation is a- analytic uh, c- contribution to our thinking of each game and those stat breakdowns and the history and what it, trends we get caught up in those. To the point where we believe they're infallible, and they're and guess what, they are. They can fail. They they they. I mean, they aren't infallible. Let me rephrase that. But they, you can. You're dealing with a human condition here, and the the balance can be tipped very easily. Yeah, I was gonna say now that points to
0: maybe adding another bye week if you're gonna keep you know you, you right adding another bye week. But if you do that, now now the season's into mid almost late February. So now, in, instead of going that way, maybe you go backwards. And now this talks more about eliminating more preseason games, and, I'm assuming, right? I mean, I, yeah.
1: And, and, and here's the thing, Bull, too, is how much is too much? Um, NFL ratings are, our TV ratings are up, are are doing well. Uh, rebounded strong from last year. And last year was such a, uh, you know, 2020, and not that 2021 has been, by any means, a perfect smooth ride. But 2020, with with a lot of unknowns, and 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 again, every time you have like an election cycle that comes up, how that impacts eyeballs away from the sport. That's just the, what history shows us. But in terms of uh, the 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 TV product, and this is what ownership of teams, these billionaires who own these teams look for. Guess what? More billions. They want. They want. A, a bigger audiences, bigger attraction, big obviously bigger attendance, but the, the money driver is that gigantic, massive, unbelievable TV contract, and how to make that uh how how to how to just expand that abundance of of cash. And you're but the key to the NFL success has long been put knowing the putting the guardrails in, knowing how far you you go one way or the other with numbers of games where they're positioned on the on the calendar, um, you know, keeping people wanting and desiring the the thing. You know, you're making that an addiction, if you will. Of I got to have more, but it, are you going to give them too much? And this Thursday night product was that you know they added that on, knowing full well, coaches certainly did, and general managers certainly did, and and I'm sure team owners did it's not going to look as pretty a lot of times on Thursday as it does on Sunday. Um, it's, it's going to be maybe a brand of football. That's going to throw people off. And, you know, but well, we've had Thanksgiving day games and those draw insane numbers. Cause it's a captive audience. And that went from two, I think one to two to now three. Uh, and, and that's what it, that's what's driving it. But to your point about the calendar, what, when is it habit wise, where, you know, when do we, want to stop it? When do we want to put the stop on and then get to our off season? And, and that's the tricky side. The Super Bowl is going to be played later than ever this year, right? It's got that later time uh, stamp on it, still into February, but we are going to blink and be dealing with you know the off season, the draft, the whole works, and, and barely have just gotten over whatever the Super Bowl is. And that's what you've got to think about and, and why these other leagues that have tried XFL and the different, uh, and even the USFL way back in the day, for those who remember people's habits didn't fit when those games were played you, spring, just not springs, not for football, fall is football, you know, cold weather's football. Um, well, and
0: listen, more, I mean, and it, it, you know, it, but it, it's simple season progression, right? Like if you're in, in any type of, of, of four seasonal or three seasonal, climate i mean you're indoors in the fall yeah. and early winter right and and nobody wants to be indoors in the spring and summer i don't care how much they love football i don't want to be indoors watching no. a football game in spring and summer i want to be outdoors doing things that i've waited 5 months to be able to do right
1: absolutely that that's the other thing is is just your 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 life habits um what you want to do a lot of folks who live in you know western new york the northern regions of the country you get to January, February, they want to go south for a little while. You know, they want to unplug. That doesn't mean they can't follow the bills and, and football there because uh, they do and they will. And, and we know all of that, but it's still not the same as the weekly traditions and all of that that's built around this game. So the, the NFL is careful about that. And, and look, it's just about a three hour commitment of time each time you you, you watch it. It's, it's a perfect grid for television, the way the, the game appears on the screen, right? All of that was long thought out by, you know, very smart people who understood and timeouts and pauses, all the things that, you know, some sport like soccer and others, you don't get that don't translate as well to TV. So football is about as perfectly translatable to television as any uh, live event can be.
0: All right. So we're going in a way different direction than I thought this was going to, and that's fine because this just enables us to do another one of these at another point. Uh, sure. Because I I really want to spend and give people an, an eye into you, but because we're now no, sort of
1: no, no, no because, I mean as long as you want to, I'm I'm fine. I'm with you. I'm be,
0: with it. So, because you well, we got into the commission. Now we're into the league, and this is important because these are things that we need to talk about. Right. So, um, I'll go to the officiating now. So much okay. has been made, especially in the last week, the Tony Caretti thing, too many taunting flags. Why are some uh, officials in, in one game throwing double the flags than they are in another? Or why is one crew throwing more flags than any other crew historically through the span of the first you know 10, 11 weeks of a season? What do you say to that? And, and to my knowledge, there isn't, I mean Perry fuel's like the guy but he's not really the guy, right? I mean,
1: yeah, well, look in terms of, yeah, you've got Al River on, you've got others, you know, involved with the leagues uh, but, but the, the names aren't important. It's the structure of what happens with regard to officiating now. And the structure is built on the best technology we've ever had in watching this game. And I still believe it comes down to that. I hear the complaints. I hear the, they've got it in for the bills or they've got, you know, and, and yet you can see the same calls that, that drive fans of other teams. Every in 32 uh, fan bases, you've got officiating frustration um, or you've had it at, at various points to so the same levels as you've had it here. And I don't buy, and I've heard people tell me it's a buff they don't want Buffalo to succeed and it's the biggest bunch of bull that no offense uh, that, that, <laughs> Good that, you could, that, that you could uh, hear because that is not what this is about. It, it, again, the last I checked the investment by the Pagulas and the billions is as welcome as any other owners and that's who runs this league. The team owners are the league, okay It's a billionaires' club. And Terry and Kim Pagula are in that as much as pretty much anyone else. Maybe their, their wealth doesn't compare to others and it exceeds others. Um, So don't give me this. Their business is getting the short end because theirs is the Buffalo Bills. It is about what we notice and what we see. And you're part of a generation unlike me that can go back to, you know, obviously when I first fell in love with this game in the late sixties. Okay. And, and then early 70s, and when it really, really tra- came a TV sport. But it was a TV sport minus the TV technology that we now take basically for granted, which is the highest resolution, the closest magnified replay, the slowest moving to where you can fractionally see the foot as it is or From isn't. From every top, camera right? angle too, right? And, yeah. and, and every imaginable camera. Angle. Yeah. That is what is influenced. that Now, once again, This is not a complaint, but this is a realization. Do we really believe officiating today, the people who handle officiating in the here and now are far worse at their job than Art McNally was in the seventies, many years ago, or Jerry Seaman or all these other officials. These are, these are top officiating names in the, in the history of this game that were they just, they were great. They were eagle eye. They were sharp eye. They saw, no, no, they weren't. And mistakes were made. We just didn't see as That's many right. of the mistakes. And the stats that count those receptions and yards and, and you know, wins and outcomes and all that stand. Then with maybe you go back. Franco Harris, the immaculate reception, one of the iconic plays in football history. Would that have, how, what, what, how would that have worked out right. in today's NFL? <laughs> it may not have. Right. It may not have happened. And yet there, you know, there's a statue of that in the you go, you ever go through the Pittsburgh airport, there's a statue of that play. And it might've been eliminated by today's technology. I, again, let's perspective, let's understand what we have now. And you know what you asked me, I got to back up to the first question about what I might do as a commissioner, just to end all this discussion, we could, and there are, it, it's, I'm, they're already, I'm sure these things have already been created but let's go to MIT. Let's go to all these brainiac institutions and have them outfit every element of this game with the various chips and indicators and sensory and, and everything else that can prevent human error. It, it's doable. You could put it, you know the chip in the ball and the goal line and whatever, and there's no question about what got over the pylon. Whatever, whatever beam you want to create, make it You know, just like you would again in the and if you wanted to in a Maddie Madden type video game, just make it that antiseptic, that scientific. The thing that still makes me laugh to this day is, and I've got one of them behind me here, is what do coaches do on the side? The play callers do when they're on the side? They cover their mouth with a big sheet of plays (laughs) written on it. Wait a minute, you can't. That can't be electric. That uh, you know, electronic. That can't be digital. That can't have little, you know, come on, you, you make you. they're still using the sheet with a, with a marker. Really? I mean, and it's, and I think it's to give the illusion that there's still some human element to this game. So how much human do we want and how much robotic do we want? Because when people complain about officiating, they're complaining about humans not necessarily seeing things in, in real time and real. And I dare anyone. And I, you know, including myself, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm I would see it and they wouldn't, I, I wouldn't see. in my eyes at this stage of my life, I'm sure aren't going to see what a younger person's eyes would see, but still even at that bang, bang pressure stadium, boom, boom. Oh, the replay saw this. Well, how the heck could that guy miss? Come on. You know, just be reasonable about it all we think it's we think it's worse but we see more and that's what tells us and last thing if this were a real problem if the league thought this were a real problem now again they could change crews and they do they they hire new officials every year people retire this and that or get retired but the bottom line is are tv ratings going down because of it is attendance suffering because of it that's the only thing that talks To You know, you talk about player safety. You talk about that. If those are real issues with fans, that's what that's how you judge it. And as you and I speak right now, it's not an issue.
0: The game is still
1: gold. The game
0: is still gold uh, for sure. Um, You famously, again, have written a bunch of books and I definitely want to get to the one behind you. Uh, But you and I know you've answered uh, this in a lot of different interviews since everything happened within the last month about John Gruden. You did a book with John Gruden. Now the news is that supposedly he's going to sue the NFL. Um, I guess I have a couple of questions. Number one, sure, who, who's reading six hundred fifty thousand emails? I mean, who's doing that? Who's got? I, yeah. I'd love to compute that time into what that equals and how many people divided up that would have to to be able to do that in any kind of a timely fashion. That's number one. Number two, if all this happens, you know, is there? Any trouble spots that the NFL has to worry about in terms of bumps in their road?
1: Yeah, I, I, I have no idea um, about that. It, it does overwhelm me to think about the, the 650,000 emails. I barely can go through my own that, you know, accumulate in the course of the week. And you know, your red flag, you do what you need to do to go back to certain things. But, but I will often you know, I'll say, Oh yeah, I'll get back to that person. And, and sometimes you forget. So someone's pouring over six hundred fifty thousand or people or whatever the whoever whatever the team is that's doing it, um, and and what they may or may not find, I mean, it's it 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 makes you pause and think. But it also has taken me back and and I think others back to, you know, working for a company. And I, and I did look. I worked for the Cleveland Browns for a while. I worked for the NFL. Uh, for a while in their systems, and and when they assign you equipment uh, like you know laptops or or uh, phones, mobile phones, um, tablets, whatever it might be, that's their equipment. That is, I presumed, and and it's stated very. You get uh, I, at least the Brown, They They give you a letter right with it. Uh, that and I think one of it was stuck on the back. Keep in mind, this is the property of okay, and the servers are listed as those that belong to the Browns and the National Football League so you're part of of that world so anything you have a if you had any doubt about what it is you're discussing in that form understand you're not having any one-to-one private conversation uh, or one to whoever your group that you're that you're uh, t- uh, emailing to or something or texting to or on the phone with um, that's just to me that's common sense um, how it translated with this? I don't know. Now, I'll, I'll I'll answer this about John before you even ask it. John and I did a book together uh, 18 years ago, had a blast doing it. It was called Do You Love Football? And dynamic personality, everything that you saw from him, especially when he was the TV guy, the ESPN guy. Um, but he, at the time, he was coaching the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The book was the result of the bucks I mean it followed that super bowl championship and he's a hot property the buccaneers are a hot property uh and the book does exceptionally well it's a bestseller again i take the only credit i'll take is just capturing his voice which is the job of a co-author and it's written in the first person and we spent you know a good amount of time on it months putting it together started pretty much immediately like after I think the Pro Bowl the deal was put together I think after the Pro Bowl of that following that season in Hawaii when it was there um, with his agent and so forth and my agent and you know again the deal you make is with the publisher you're not it's not you're not paid by the co-author or anybody else it's separate agreements that you're reaching there's an overall agreement on you know deadline of the book and the amount of you know, word, you know number of words all that, that mostly the deadline. Uh, But the marketing and all of that, most of the marketing and PR is, that's focused on him, not me, Um, uh, even though my name's on it. But we're, we're, again, paid separately from that. But it is a business transaction. And yes, the burden falls on the writer uh, to to deliver the manuscript after going through all the, I don't know, 50 odd hours or so of interviews we did. Well, I spent a lot of time with him in the course of the months that we wrote that book. As I say, 18 years ago, there was zero in the course of that time that gave me even the most minute impression that what surfaced in those emails was, you know, that John Gruden. I I didn't know any of that. I didn't see any of that. I I saw a guy that I enjoyed being around and I got to tell you, he was tough, tough in the sense of, you know, his perfection wanting the book to turn out well and, and pushing, me as well as you know the publisher I mean, you know we're going to get this done right I mean he's he's a coach and he acted like a coach uh in good ways but I always knew that we had we he, line by line when we edited this thing and at one point I let out a sigh at one point uh I you know we were going through this and I was sitting uh, with, with I would have had my back to you but I, I was on a speakerphone with him working on the manuscript and I don't know, an hour and a half into our discussion or maybe 90 minutes, minutes—I yeah, was maybe, maybe almost two hours into our discussion. I go like that. Well, he hears it. It's audible. And he goes, was that a sigh? Did I just hear you sigh? You sighed. Didn't you sigh? You sighed, didn't you? I said, no, John, I just, it's, you know, that's okay. It's fine. We're... No, no, no. I heard you sigh. <laughs> Tell me, let me ask you a question. No one put a gun to your head to say, you're going to do this book. You made a decision that you wanted to be a part of this, right? Isn't that true? You signed up to work with a grinder and I'm grinding. We're grinding right now. And that's the kind of thing. And he was, you know, he was being himself, that character, but it, but it was also an example of, of what you were working with. You know, the guy was, was definitely wanted this thing. Where, and you know what? I said, this is great because this thing's going to turn out really well because the voice and everything, all of it. And, and again, it was, of, of these 11, well, I will see how this one turns out uh, as far as the success and sales, that thing was number one. I mean, it, it, it was a tremendous, tremendously successful book, but again, I credit him for doing that. Okay. Well, since you mentioned it and it's above your right shoulder,
0: your second book with hall of fame, general manager, Bill Pullian, super bowl
1: it. blueprints cardboard part this is uh this is a picture of the cover uh but um it's uh yeah it's uh super bowl blueprints and it's there you can see that pretty yeah. well right okay yeah um so this thing is uh it's the longest book i've written it's it's uh got almost almost 500 pages right 500 pages yeah oh, wow. For 150,000 words yeah just under 500 pages but um it's an oral history. So you th- this subtitle here about the Hall of Famers. Uh, this way, Vic. Okay. <laughs> Hall of Famers <laughs> and what they what they reveal. Yeah. What we did was uh Bill and I, and it was Bill's idea to to do now. Bill and I did a book called The Game Plan a while 2014. I read and it's phenomenal. Thank you. And again, Bill, credit Bill. He wanted to share, and, and he shared a lot. I mean, of of, uh, he he pulled out operational manuals that he created in the course of his career as an NFL GM. The how-tos of hiring a coach, of selecting players, of everything, running a football team. Um, and it was mostly about that. It was less autobiographical and more of the how-to. This one, um, when they when the same publisher came back to him and said, "Hey, would you like to do? You know, we we did really well with the first one." We think you'd be great to do another one. And this was more than a year ago that he, uh, you know, it was, it was around 2019 toward the end of 2019 or, uh, yeah, I think it was right, right before the pandemic. And, and he reaches out to me and said, would you have any interest in working with me on another book? And I didn't hear any other detail. I just said, sure. That was my answer. I only, because I knew the pro that he is, I knew it would be smart and great. And this goes, okay, this is what I have in mind. And he starts to tell me about this. Let's capture in each chapter, we would talk about the iconic Super Bowl eras going, you know, the Raiders and the Steelers and the, you know, Giants. And I'm thinking of this and it sounds, and I'm getting all excited. I'm getting all excited about it and all worked up. And he goes, and then what I'd like to do is like talk to all the principals that are involved, the living ones that are involved with these. And I'm starting to, Okay. And it's and it's now occurring to me that this is going to be a heck of a lot of work, and time and effort. And it turns out we did we can. And it, so his vision was that we would do this, you know. And and I, I we eventually came to the idea of it being oral history format, that each chapter would have all these voices that he and I would interview. He would lead he'd lead the interview and lead each chapter. He said, "Think of me as the stage manager of our town, of the play our town." And I said. That's, you know, I thought back to high school, okay, that makes sense. That That's a, that's a pretty good role for you to sort of be like the narrator type guy who sets it up and then interjects his thoughts along the way. There's more than 32, around 32, it was more than 30. I want to say 32 people that we interviewed, uh, from every level, team owners, um, coaches, front general managers, players, all for, I mean, for the most part, former Jerry Jones is in here. Um, you know, but generally, I'm, 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 and, and John Mara from the Giants, Art Rooney, the second from the Steelers. So active ownership people, but retired coaches, you know, Jimmy Johnson, uh, and, and so forth, and, and, uh, former Terry Bradshaw, Mean Joe Green, Steve Young. We got it, and, and every one of them, uh, gave us at least two, two and a half hours, at least two, but for the the average time, I think came to about, two hours and 15 minutes on zoom on a call like this bill would be in North Carolina you know Terry Bradshaw was wherever he was I was right Jerry Jones of course was on a yacht in the Bahamas (laughs) as we interviewed him (laughs) of course and and he it it was so funny and he was he was one of the longest I think we almost went three hours with him but he goes he goes you know I'm going to get emotional during this I'm going to get emotional during this interview talking about football I'm going to I'm going to start crying I'm going to probably start crying and I've had he talked about like having therapy for this, like, you know, that he get that he gets so worked up and choked up. And he said so. And he goes, and if I'm rambling too long on stuff, you just stop me. You just shut me up. Yeah. OK, Jerry, we're going to shut you up. Right. You're going to. But it, it was a, a, it was incredible. Uh, and, and the passion. I mean, Terry Bradshaw talks about a extremely, extremely rough relationship with Chuck Knoll. I mean, he bears his soul about that relationship, where it went to the lowest, to his highest, of course, as a Hall of Fame, uh, you know, Hall of Fame player. And um, I have to tell you, it was an, an experience of a lifetime to spend that amount of time with, you know, Peyton Manning on the, on Bill's Colts teams, Tony Dungy, the, just incredible people who told these and, and you, you, you felt immersed in it. It was as much as I thought I knew about the league and the game and history, these historic moments, Bill Parcells talked to us. I, I found out so much more um, after this and, and hearing, and even hearing the flip side, the giant side of those Super Bowls. although we did get the Bill side, Marv Levy, Jim Kelly, Frank Reich, they're, they're all in there too, but um, really incredible stuff.
0: Uh, where can people find it? Because obviously anybody that's part of uh, Bill's Mafia slash Galaxy, uh, interplanetary Bill's fans, wherever they might be, probably a good nod, nod, wink, wink Christmas gift for somebody, right?
1: Yeah, no nod, nod, wink, wink. It's a great guest <laughs> Christmas gift. Go get it. Um, it's available, of course, you know, wherever you normally buy books, Amazon, there's there's if you just go to if that's your comfortable way of buying books. Um, and I, I know they, they tend to offer like various discounts and if you get the E edition, it's uh, the downloadable one to your Kindle or whatever, if you'd like to read books that way, obviously that's priced accordingly. But the, yeah, I think the hard, I want to say 28 bucks, something like that. Very reasonable, uh, for the amount that you get. And here's the thing. It's not, you don't have to be a bills, even though there's a bills chapter and it's Bill Pullian throughout, you don't have to be a bills fan. I don't think to appreciate If you like football, this this book will speak to you and these stories will speak to you because even in rereading that, um, you know, going over it for the thousandth time when you're editing and so forth, I still found myself immersed. I I kept saying, you know, I can't believe I can't believe we got that like we got that out of Steve Young bringing Bill Walsh to life, like what that relation and Steve Young being this super smart man that he is uh, Brian Billick. Uh, sharing when he was working as, as an assistant, an underling for Bill Walsh and, and the things that he saw, the, that unique perspective, Mike Holmgren, when he was, Mike talked about the 49ers and of course gave his version of the, you know, the, the um, West coast offense, as it evolved from San Francisco to what he had with Brett Favre in Green Bay. So hey, really interesting stuff, Ron Wolfe Another Hall of Famer.
0: Anyway. That's Yeah, awesome stuff. Um, you're right. Any Anybody that's a football fan that knows football from the last 30, 40 years, is going to enjoy the read. Okay, so I, I know yeah. we're, I know uh, we don't have a ton of time. So you mentioned Jerry Jones. He's got a relationship yeah. with the Bagulas and Stadium.
1: Right. Go. <laughs> yeah, Stadium, go. Um, well, of course, like anyone else, I mean, I'd love to see this for our community. Living here, and 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 as a, as a I, I hope my the rest of my life is, is spent here, however long that is. Uh, my kids born and raised here, their kids born and raised here, uh, so many family and friends that this is to me a piece of uh, a piece of the community that should be good for the community and the good that I think it should do. Should go well beyond what it does for the revenue of the owners of the bills and the their partners in the NFL. I believe the Orchard Park idea is a short-sighted idea. I think it's an idea that fulfills only. Let's just get something newer than what we've got. Yeah, we'll have the infrastructure. Yeah, we'll have all this you know stuff that and, and the dirt's cheaper there and all. And, and f- there's some common sense elements that sound fine with that, but it's not doing the job that I, I this is a one, you get one shot to do this, right. That may again, after in, long in, after our, lifetime, lifetime. Long, in our lifetime, long yes, after I yes. pass, there'll be someone else doing yep. it. Um, but as far as I see for the foreseeable shoot future, you got one shot to do this incredible thing, figure it out in a way that benefits our community and, I, you know, I go to, I look at downtown Buffalo as, as there's some, there's an untapped gem that could be brought to life there if done properly with foresight, with thinking. And I hear all these cost issues, but, but I've yet to hear the revenue issue because I think there's, there is something to that over the long haul and how it spread out and how it invigorates and energizes. And I, I I think of, 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 two things. One is Going to a Toronto Blue Jays game, uh, you know, at, at in in at uh, S- Salem Am I yep, getting yep, it right? Yep. Um, and I I'm there in June, mid June. Yankees, Yankees and Blue Jays. So it's there's a lot of buzz. Obviously, it's a lot of Yankee buzz, but it's buzz. It's a beautiful June night, and I'm with friends. We're you know we're over, you know we're across the street having some you know having some beers and wings, and you know the whole experience. And I walk out and, you know, Pearl Street Grill, we walk out and I see this buzz, this, all these folks and people just, you know, migrating to, to this state. And it was, I think that the attendance that night was under 2000. I think it was 1700. It was still in the early stages before things were opening up. And I said, all this for that. Okay, so, so let's, or maybe it was seven, I'm sorry, maybe it was 7,000. I take that back. 7,000. Yes. And all of that for 7,000. And I said, okay, multiply that times nine or eight. And what do you get? What would that be like on a Sunday, on a Thursday night, on a Monday night? And all the surrounding areas. And oh, yeah, maybe a convention center, as we've seen some of these drawings and such. It just feels like if that's not what we end up with, it's, it's a miss. It's, it's got to be bigger Even though football is the essence of it, it's got to be bigger than that. The thought process should be, I think, for the community, bigger than that. Easy for me to say, but I am also speaking as a taxpayer, as you are. So, you know, there is something on the line here for it. And you want it to be, but you want it to be done right. Either way, it won't be cheap. Either way, tickets are going to be far more than they are. And every other, and, and probably seat license and all that stuff, All those costs that are going to come with it, whether it's Orchard Park or here, but I just don't see the need for it to continue to be there. You can have a practice facility there. I worked for the Cleveland Browns. We had our practice facility in Berea, Ohio. Training camp was held there. It's worked out perfectly, I think, well, beautifully. And then the stadium's downtown. And on a game day, I know what that was like. it's, It's electrifying. And, and and the ingress, egress worked out beautifully, and you go and you have dinner and you do all the stuff before and after the game. You could do all kinds of – or tailgate. And I was in Baltimore recently uh, when they played the Bengals this year, and there there was a uh, the tailgating all over in various spots downtown. People were getting it done. I don't want to hear that you can't tailgate – if you do downtown, because you can, and, and it, maybe you end up being a better experience. And, and the other point I was going to make too, is I was in the m uh, the t uh, the, you know, the the one Seneca tower uh, with my daughter works for m and and they both do, but the, the one who works in there and I'm looking at these views of the city and I'm just saying, my God, how, how amazing would it be to have a stadium, to have a, um, you know, have a convention center, all that downtown.
0: And listen, you speak from experience. You've been to every city in the league. Lots of times you've seen stadiums in the suburbs. You've seen stadiums in the cities, downtown state. You've seen both. And you like you just pointed out, I mean, and so have I. Uh, There are definitely ways to make uh, a downtown stadium work and where it's feasible and, and a good experience for everybody. And also, you know, helps economically. Uh, for everybody too, in the end. So, I mean, you speak from experience, you're just not throwing stuff out there. Uh, You you've been there and done that and seen it. And, and I respect that a lot. Um, I did talk to Tim Oshai on one of these who you of course know from the news and he was telling me that there is, and I don't know, it's still sort of up in the air as to what I think they're going to do. And he was saying by the first of the year, hopefully there will be a decision ultimately made on what's going to happen. But he said, if, and I think this would be okay it doesn't really go to your downtown discussion, but he said there is the potential possibly at the orchard park site of maybe making it kind of like what they did with Gillette. I mean, yeah, like, where they well, built sort of a city around the state. Patriot is, place. Right?
1: Yeah. yeah. Patriot place. Yeah. Um, that's fine, I but I still think from the, the comparing the economics and and the ability to, to to spend the money there and all of that and and also that was built during the high highest of high times of a team uh, that won six Super Bowls and went to eight over a period of time or more. Not I mean, but but I think during that window of time it was eight, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's a whole different discussion of driven by success and markets, you've got a, a mold, a melding of, of uh, you know, the Boston area, greater Boston area and Providence. And, you know, and, and you're, you're close to Rhode Island, you're, you're in Massachusetts, the borderline. I, I just think that there's a convergence there that's that's a little bit different, a lot different, not a little, a lot different than what you'd have. And I, I think what Tim was talking about too, I've heard the same thing, you know, like smaller scale, version of that, like a Buffalo version of some retail that you could put around it. And of course you could do that. I still don't think that satisfies what's around it. Yeah, there are, there are some restaurants and bars and whatever, near, but they've been there. A lot of them have been there for a very long time or have changed hands. I, again, I think if you do something in the centerpiece, you know, do something within your downtown area and, and easy to say it, I know there's a lot of hurdles to jump to get it right. But you're doing more that has a more long-lasting effect, I think, and and it's it still has to go to me beyond football, um, it, it, as far as the thought process. But again, easy for me to say. Right, I take I've taken
0: way too much of your time, but my, I have to ask one last question. Obviously, yeah. we've not really touched on the bills at all. So, yeah. um, you know, they they pre pre buy, they're hammering teams pre buy, right? Just hammering teams. Tennessee happens the bye, you get a bad first half against the Dolphins. They bounce back. You think, okay, they're back. Then they, they fart in Jacksonville and it's terrible. And then the jets, they beat them up like they should. Right. Um, So I guess my question is, I mean, the the bills have the Kansas city win that I think is a good win. I guess Um, they played Tennessee. You could argue probably should have beaten them. Didn't, but the argument can be made, you know, what are the bills, right? I mean, the, the wins they have are against arguably yeah. bad teams, and and they have a much tougher schedule ahead of them, I would think.
1: Well, you gotta first of all, your schedule is your schedule. Uh, that's that's real sage, but you gotta play the teams that are there. And what however you however those outcomes, you know, whatever those are, you are so Belichickian oh. right now. Yeah, it tells yeah but it tells you what you it tells you what your team is or or isn't to a great extent. You're you're wondering, you know, when will the real bills stand up or what are the real bills? I don't think there's a doubt about their quality. Um and I say that because what has been consistent in the 9 games they've played. In 8 of them, they've played lights out or close to lights out defense. Okay? Foundationally that you hear the phrase travels well, gives you put, keeps you in every game. I mean, that is, I know again, old school core football, but that really speaks. And there's a reason why that's got a lot of, you know, a lot of merit to it because it's, there's history that shows us that you, you, if you have that going for you, you have a lot going for you and it can help you make up for whatever is, or isn't working on the offensive side and on the offensive side, I still think you have not a good quarterback, a great quarterback in Josh Allen, not always played great football or as often as he did. It seems in 2020 and that we knew he was on his way to, you know, the numbers and so forth that would put him in the conversation for MVP. Um, He may not necessarily be that guy right now, but he's, he's far more than good enough to be what they need him to be. And what's around him is still outstanding and dynamic in the obvious name. Stefan Diggs, go down the list. I think Emmanuel Sanders was a great pickup. Uh, the the hemming and hawing about the O-line and the run game uh, is somewhat merited, but the running game was an issue or a question last year, as I recall. And as sure, I recall, sure. the Bills were second in the league in scoring, second in the league in uh, in total defense, third in the league in Passing, twentieth um, and running. I think that 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 stat that number did not derail them. That was not why the Buffalo Bills didn't get to the Super Bowl. Okay, the reason they didn't get to the Super Bowl, I still think, was the defense held them back from for that one game, or maybe made it perilous in others. They won thirteen games with all those questions, and they and they helped repair a lot of that. Uh, with the drafting they did and so forth. And we're seeing the way this, this defense gets after quarterbacks. And I just think that, um, and the coaching is still sound. I, I definitely got after, by the way, you know, even though I'm quote retired from the Buffalo news, I'm still still doing things like, you know, WGRC. And, uh, and I, I do some on-air stuff with Adam Benini, who's great. And, and I write for their website. And in that context, uh, and I also do SiriusXM, Uh, NFL radio. But in that context, I guess in both contexts, I got after Sean McDermott. I said uh, before the, I mean, uh, not before, after the Jacksonville game, I was shocked by how ill prepared they looked, how, you know, they just weren't ready to play a game. That's on the head coach. That is on the head coach. And I think he took the, the lack of preparation to heart, not what I said, Uh, I don't care. I don't think he even heard me or cared. (laughs) And he shouldn't, by the way, listen to anybody on the outside. That's the noise. But in terms of his own self-evaluation and the staff and the team and the players, and then what you saw with the Jets, same scenario, another crappy opponent, except this time they did what they should have done against Jacksonville. They were ready. They were energetic. They came in looking with a purpose. Well, shouldn't take that every week, by the way, to do that against some bad teams. They're going to have, you know, they're going to play the Jets again. But you're right. The schedule gets tougher. The question is, and this isn't a question about the Bills' lack of anything, but they've got something, I think, to compete with in the way of the of the rise, I think, of the Patriots mm-hmm. from the ashes of last year and what's going on with Mac Jones and – you know, getting them twice in December. Um, it looks, obviously, they're right on the tail, but it looks like there's something there, something that will challenge the Bills and, and other teams, in a, in, but especially for that division championship. And that's what they got to focus on. And it, it has nothing to do with saying, well, are they equipped to challenge them? I think they're equipped to challenge and beat anybody, anybody. Um, they were one play away from beating the Tennessee Titans, who by all arguments right now are the best team in the AFC. What's the gap between them and the bills? You could say the bills are the best still in the AFC, if not right up there as the best of the NFL or in the conversation. So that isn't what it, what concerns me. What concerns me is, is Mac Jones, who you see right now as a rookie going to play at that level at the, at the off the charts type of level that he can reach um, with this defense that's playing well then. And he's had some, bad moments. I still say this, he's a rookie. And as more and more is known about what he's about by Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, as they study this guy and the coaching staff, they're going to have answers for him that he didn't even know there were questions about come that game. I'm sure on Monday night football, that's just a guess. Okay. So I guess uh, to summarize, uh,
0: don't worry (laughs) about your bills.
1: Don't worry about the bills. No, I, I mean, worry. Yeah. Which is like telling people, you know, don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about, of course you worry about the bills. You worry about the bills if you're a bills fan, because that's what bills fans do. And you know, it's okay. It's the love of this game. It's what I, I, I will never. Uh, I I'm blessed because I've, I've had an opportunity for a lot of years full, as you know, to do something I love, but the reason it, it exists. The ability to, you know, do to write, to broadcast, to whatever, to do books, um, all of that is comes from a place of this incredible love for this thing. I don't, and it's not a diversion. It, in many ways, it's more religion for folks. Um, That's, I mean, here especially, and I've been in this market obviously since. 1982 haven't consistently been here the whole time, you know, in and out with Cleveland and NFL.com, but, um, but it's been, but, but it's a true football town. I remember once when somebody, I don't remember who tried to make the case in the media. This is more of a hockey town while the bills were going through their, their, uh, their, their, period of, you know, well, the drought, the, the, the wilderness years. Yeah. And I laughed at that. I said, I am sorry. And again, I don't say this to offend Sabre fans, and I'm I enjoy watching the Sabres as a fan. It's the only time watching a sporting event when I can truly, it's not the only time, but it's like among the few times I can relax and just enjoy the entertainment value of it. Except they weren't entertaining and they seem to be more this year. Um, uh, but I, um, there's no way this has always been and always will be a football out and football is the you know breeds. there's a segment of hockey fans there's a, a an entire world of football fans here for sure for sure um so what i've decided
0: to save for you for the next one that we do of yeah. these and sure totally on your schedule maybe it's after the super bowl whatever uh i want to i want to ask you about your books and how you do it i want to ask you about whether or not i can be the with so Vic Harushi with Rich Gensler, because you need to write a book, my friend, uh, all the things that you've seen and done and witnessed. Um, and I want to ask you a lot about that. And so we're going to basically create our own sort of video book with you the next time we do this. Uh, for now, fun. though, um, obviously, congratulations on a, on a great career that you extend. Even though you pretend to be retired, you're really not. Um,
1: you should <laughs> I've give been that fair- I've been failing at retirement. Somebody <laughs> told me that and said, you know, you're failing at retirement. Right. I said, yeah, kind of, but no, it's um, it, it, and by, and real quick, uh, the news, Buffalo news was terrific. The whole, I mean, the experience of, cause remember I had two stints there and, and they, they, they gave me the opportunity to return uh, in uh, 2014 and, and great experience work for some wonderful people along the way um, who were, who were nothing, but again, you know, the editors, uh, uh, in, in every possible way, trying to make it as welcoming as possible. And then, um, when I was, when, you know, we had thought about my wife and I talked about this for two years and and my daughters, we, we talked about it for about two years and I was going to do it in 2020. I said, 2020 will be the year. And then 2020 happened. Uh, and then, uh, and then we decided as we got closer to the spring of this past year of this year, excuse me, I think this is the time to do it. And to their credit, I guess, uh, the, uh, the folks at the news, um, tried to talk me out of it and said, let's think about this. Let's not be too hasty. I said, it's not hasty. I, I put a lot of thought into it. How about stick around for one more year? Give us one more year. You're going to, you don't want to miss this bills train. Uh, you know, that's going to go all the way to the Super Bowl. blah, blah, blah. And I said, no, nah. I, I said, this is the right time. I, I know, I know this is the right time and it, and it has been. Um, and I know I'm not, yes, I'm still involved enough to, to stay with it, but more time, to spend with family, spend with grandchildren to, you know, we got four of them and, and, uh, and, and that's been heaven. That's been the, the greatest part of this. And not that I wouldn't see them otherwise, it's just that you can do more. And, and there's just, it's, it's your schedule is just a little, it's a lot looser when you don't have the day-to-day grind that doing that job well. Uh, and by the way, they continue to do a great job. Jay Skirsky, Mark Gaughan, Jason Wolf, Catherine Fitzgerald, the whole crew there of the of football writers. And, and of course, all under the leadership of Josh Barnett, who does a, a phenomenal job.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, congratulations and continue. You know, we're still going to watch you on Channel 2 and read your stuff online. And we're, we're going to listen to you. For those of you that have Sirius XM, it's Channel 88. Is that right?
1: Channel 88.
0: OK. Yep. And we'll read your books and we're going to buy uh, Super Bowl blueprints. Uh, for all of our football fans on our Christmas list. And we hope to do this again very soon, my friend. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you have more of it now, so it's easier. But uh, (laughs) I appreciate you doing this. This has been absolutely awesome. And I I cannot wait for the next one because there's so much more I want to talk to you about, about your life and your career, the things that you've covered and done. So um, start thinking of some things to talk about when we do this again.
1: (laughs) No, you think about things we should talk about. (laughs) I'm retired. (laughs) I got it. You're
0: right. You're right, right,
1: both. Commission.
0: You're the man. Thanks, buddy.